continue our series this morning uh, in Revelation uh, chapter 2. We're going through the seven churches. It's a study of the seven churches. We're in Revelation chapter 2. We'll be looking at verses 8 through 11. I think there's just a little bit of a ring. I don't know if anyone's up there, but there's just a little bit of a, a ring. Do you guys hear the ring? All right. And it's going to drive me nuts after a while. So there's just a little bit of a ring, so we'll see if we can get that out. Um, Revelation 2, verses 8 through 11. As I said, we're doing a series entitled Listen Up. So everyone out there, you need to listen up, okay? Pay attention. Um, and that's literally what Jesus is saying. In these three chapters, eight times, he says, listen up. And obviously, to each of the seven churches, he says to them, to listen up. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So we're reminded that the, the messages that we're reading and the letters that were sent to the seven churches were not only for the seven churches, but he says for, for anyone and everyone that has the ability to hear. He says, listen to the warnings. Listen to the message that Christ has for these churches. And so we're reminded that this, this message that the Lord had for the church at Smyrna is the message for us today as well. And so we need to listen up. Would you read with me or read along with me beginning in verse number 8 of Revelation 2. He says this. He says, And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These things says the first and the last, who was dead, speaking of Christ. He was once dead and he came to life. He says, I know your works and your tribulation and the poverty but you are rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear, uh, fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And he says, and you will have tribulation ten days. Listen to these words. He says, be faithful until death. The idea is be faithful even unto death. He says, and I will give you a crown of life. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. We're looking at the church of Smyrna this morning, and I want to just uh, say a few words about this, but this is the letter, one of the letters to the seven churches. We looked at Ephesus last week. Just a reminder, the seven churches there are in what's present-day Turkey. You can kind of, if you can see, uh, maybe on some of these maps, the, the, the locations are still there. Um, you can go to different churches that are still there, uh, built on, on the areas where they believe the churches to be. But as we're reminded, John was exiled to the Isle of Patmos, which is just uh, out there in the sea, a Gre little Grecian island in Greece. And it's, it's still there today. There's still some villages there in Greece, uh, in the Isle of Patmos. There's the, what's called the Cave of the Apocalypse, where they believe John received this revelation and wrote these letters. And he sent these letters to real churches. They were real physical churches. And they received these letters as John was exiled on the Isle of Patmos. As we studied last week, we looked at Ephesus. This week, we'll look at the church of Smyrna. The city of Smyrna was a beautiful city, a seaport city. The city of uh, Smyrna was called the Lovely. 
the ornament of Asia. It was one of the finest of all the cities. It was a very rich city, a very wealthy city, a very prosperous city. Even to this day, right now, this city is, is in Turkey, and it's called Izmir. The city of Izmir is a city of over 3 million in population even today. This was one of the, the chief cities there uh, in Asia Minor, and, and there was a group of believers, a group of Christians. In fact, um, there was a one who was called Polycarp, and we'll speak about him in a moment. But there was a man named Polycarp, and I'll mention him in a few minutes again. But he was the bishop or the pastor of this church. The Lord Jesus says to this church, he says this, he says, he says the, the one who is the first and the last, which was dead, and he says, and which is alive. What he's doing is Christ is reminding them that he was also a martyr. Because what we'll see as we study here in a few moments, there were many, as Jesus predicted and Jesus warned them, there were many who were put in prison, many who suffered persecution. You see, the, the church of Smyrna is the suffering church, the persecuted church. It's interesting because the name Smyrna literally comes from the word myrrh, which means bitter. In fact, think about it like this. Smyrna has the word myrrh in it, and it means bitter. The, the, the name of the city today is Izmir, and it still has the word myrrh in it. The idea of, of, of this, this fragrance, this, this bitter uh, herbs and things that they, that they exported. In fact, it was their number one export. It's what made the city so wealthy. And so it got its name literally thousands of years ago, and they called it Smyrna because of the myrrh that they exported out of the city. But it is interesting that the name means bitter. And that this church, as, as the Lord sends this letter through John to the, the, the believers there, he says, you are going to suffer. There will be great tribulation. And so this church was under great distress. This church was under great tribulation. They were under tremendous persecution from Rome. And so Christ is going to compliment them in, in verses 2 and 3. He gives them a number of compliments, and I love it, and I think it applies to us today as well. But I notice, notice a few things that he says to them. He says, I know your works. He says, I know your deeds. I, I know uh, your labor. And, and I want you to understand something, is that God sees everything. Proverbs 15, 3 says, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. And I know we often focus on the evil, but I want to remind all of you that God sees the good that we do. Amen, church? He sees the, the actions and the deeds that no one else sees. He sees the sacrifices and the labor and the work and the time that you invest. He sees when you do the right thing, even though no one else sees and no one else knows, God knows. And this church was, he says, he says you, were, you were poor, if you will. Your church was a church that was impoverished. He says, but, but you were still faithful and you still labored and you still worked. And God saw it and God sees it. May I say to you, every kind deed that you do, every uh, act of kindness and every action that you do that, that it's for the kingdom, God sees it. Even when no one else sees it and even when no one else knows, may I tell you something, God takes good records and he sees. And you will be blessed. 
He says to this church, I know your works and I know your labor and I know your sacrifice. I see it and I take record of it. He says to them, makes an interesting statement. He says, I know your tribulation. Literally what he's saying is, I know the persecution that you were under. I think it's oftentimes we forget that God does see everything and that God knows. You know, it's possible that this church was very maybe, if you will, discouraged because they were under such tremendous persecution and they're being persecuted. Many of them sent to prison. They're being flogged. They're being whipped. They're being beaten for their faith. And they were standing strong in their faith. And they were under this persecution. And maybe in their own minds began to become discouraged and wondering, does God even know? Does God even care? Does the Lord know what we're going through? Have you ever been there? I think we all have. And God knows. And he sends this letter through John that says, I know what you're going through. Hey, Austin, the Lord knows what you're going through. Amen? Amen. And he's with you. And he knows you might be nervous in the fears that you have, but he says, I know. Amen, church? He says, I know. He says to this church, I know your tribulation, the persecution that you are going through. In fact, a little bit later, he even tells them that he says, many of you will be thrown into prison. He says, some of you will be thrown into prison to test you. He says, and you will not, it might happen. He says, you will suffer persecution. And he says, for 10 days, the idea is this. He says that it's temporary, that compared to eternity, it's temporary. He says, be faithful. Be faithful even to the point of death. What he's telling this church is that, that you're under great tribulation. And it's hard for us to really comprehend this. But what Jesus is saying is it's going to get worse. He was honest. He didn't hold back on this church. He didn't say to them, I want to just uh, give you warm, fuzzy feelings. He says to the church, he says, you're going to go through tribulation. You're going through it now. And I know it. And I see it. And I haven't abandoned you. I have not abandoned you, Smyrna. He says, church of Smyrna, I have not abandoned you. But he also says, it's going to get worse. But he says, it's going to be temporary. And he encourages them, and we'll talk about this at the end in a few moments, but he encourages them with eternity. And he encourages them with the promise of rewards and crowns. I don't know if any of you have ever heard, it's a much older book, but how many of you have ever heard of the book, The Fox's Book of Martyrs? Only a few. It is sad, by the way, can I say this? Not, I'm not speaking to you, like speaking down to you, but it is sad that in many of our churches, we don't really even know the history of our church. The history of the church. There's another great book. It's a kind of a newer version. It's called Jesus Freaks. How many of you have ever heard of that book? All right. Okay, good. All right. You just went from a D to a B plus, all right? It's a little bit newer. It's a newer version of the Fox's Book of Martyrs. Fox's Book of Martyrs is a history of the early apostles, the first century church, even going into the second century church and beyond. It said it like this. 
that the, that the blood of the martyrs was the seed of the church. DC Talk years ago forwarded and, and helped with a group called the Voice of Martyrs. How many of you have ever heard of the Voice of Martyrs? Bomb, Voice of Martyrs. It's an amazing organization. They put together a book that was called Jesus Freaks. And I'll be honest, I was in my early 20s. And I'd already read in my teenage years of Fox's Book of Martyrs. And that was one of the things that really inspired me to really have a faith that was, that was real. A faith that, could, you know, that, that was different. When I read the stories and the accounts of people who were willing to pay the ultimate sacrifice for their faith. And so that you and I could have the scriptures today. The book Jesus Freaks is a, even a more modern, if you will, version of the, the book, the Fox's Book of Martyrs. I'd encourage you to read it. I want to share with you one of the martyrs of the church of Smyrna. And we'll have a couple pictures for you. His name was Polycarp. Has anyone ever heard of Polycarp before? A few of you? Polycarp was John's disciple. The Apostle John discipled him. The Apostle John ministered to him. And, and as far as we know, Polycarp was the last one who was taught by the Apostles, taught by John himself. And he was a student. And I'd like to just take a few moments and give you a little bit of history as it relates to the church of Smyrna. Because the Lord Jesus said that there will be more persecution to come. The early church was hated by the society and the government of the Roman Empire for obviously various reasons, such as the refusal of the Christians to, to sacrifice to their gods. The empire uh, went through many phases of demanding that the Christians sacrifice, which meant denying their faith or be killed. The earliest attacks claimed the lives of many of the apostles. This text is a story from around 160 A.D., of the martyrdom of, uh, martyrdom of Polycarp. He was the bishop, or you, if we would know it as the, the pastor of the church of Smyrna, in the city of Asia Minor, modern-day Izmir, Turkey. They were devoted to Roman worship. The account is in the form of a letter from eyewitnesses to other churches in the area. It is the earliest chronicle of a martyrdom outside the New Testament. Polycarp was an old man, at least 86 years of age, and probably the last surviving person to have known an apostle, having been a disciple of St. John. This was uh, one reason he was greatly revered as a teacher and a church leader. We are writing to you, brothers, with the account of the martyrs, especially the blessed Polycarp, whose death brought, to the, uh, brought to the close to the persecution. Almost all the events that led up uh, to it reveal to be another uh, martyrdom in divine pattern. All the martyrs, uh, martyrdoms which God allowed to happen, listen to this, which God allowed to happen, and ascribe all the things to his sovereignty, were blessed and noble. Who could not admire their honor, their patience, their love for the Lord? They were whipped to shreds, still their veins and arteries were exposed, and, and still endured patiently, while even those that stood by cried for them. 
They had such courage that none of them let out a sigh or even a groan, proving when they suffered such torments, they were absent from their bodies, or rather that the Lord stood by them and talked with them and encouraged them. By the grace of Christ, they despise all the cruelties of this world, redeeming themselves from eternal punishment by the suffering of a single hour. The fire of their uh, savage executioners appeared cool to them because they fixed their eyes on their escape from the eternal unquenchable fire and the good things promised to those who endure such things. They were no longer men, but they had already become angels in the presence of God. In the same way, those who were condemned to the wild beast endured dreadful torture. Some were stretched out on beds of spikes. Others were subject to all kinds of torments, all in the devil's attempt to make them deny Christ. In all that the devil attempted, he failed, thanks be to God. The heroic Germanicus encouraged the weak by his own endurance and fought bravely with the wild animals. When the proconsul tried to persuade him to cooperate for the sake of his own youth, he drew the wild beast towards himself and provoked it in order to escape more, uh, escape more quickly from the, this wicked world. Seeing all this, the amazed crowds and spectators cried out, down, down with Polycarp, down with Polycarp. Those who were looking for him were coming near. So he left for another house, speaking of Polycarp. They immediately followed him, and when they could not find him, they seized two young men from his own household, and they tortured them into confession. The sheriff called Herod, was impatient to bring Polycarp to the stadium so that he might fulfill his special role in, in the share in the sufferings of Christ. The police and horsemen came with young men at supper time on the Friday with their usual weapons, as if coming out against a robber. That evening, they found him lying down in the upper room of a small cottage. He could have escaped but he refused, saying, God's will be done. When he heard what they had done, he went down and he spoke with them. And they were amazed at his age and his steadfastness. And some of them said, why did we go to such trouble to capture a man like this? Immediately he called, listen to this, he immediately called for food and drink for them. And he, he was kind to them. And he asked for an hour to pray uninterrupted. They agreed. And he stood and he prayed, so full of the grace of God that he could not stop for two hours. Kind of like one of my sermons, amen? <laughs> Just kept going. The men were astonished, and many of them regretted coming to arrest such a godly old man. When he had finished praying, they put him on a donkey, and they took him into the city. They took him into Smyrna. As Polycarp was being taken into an arena, a voice came to him from heaven. A voice was heard saying this, Be strong, Polycarp. Be strong and play the man. No one saw who had spoken, 
but our brothers who were there and heard the voice. When the crowd heard that Polycarp had been captured, there was an uproar. The proconsul asked him whether he was Polycarp, and on hearing that he was, he tried to persuade him, tried to persuade Polycarp. He said, have respect for your old age and denounce Christ. Polycarp looked grimly at the wicked heathen multitude in the stadium and gesturing toward them. He said, reproach Christ and I will set you free. 86 years I have served him, Polycarp declared, and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king and my savior? The proconsul said, I have wild animals here. I will throw you to them if you do not, re- if you do not repent. Call them, Polycarp replied. It is unthinkable for me to repent from what is good to turn to what is evil. I will be glad, though, to be changed from evil to righteousness. If you you despise the animals, I will have you burned. You threaten me with fire, which burns for an hour and is then extinguished. But you know nothing of the fire of the coming judgment and eternal punishment reserved for the ungodly. Why are you waiting? Bring on whatever you want. It was all done in the time it takes to tell. The crowd collected wood and bundles and sticks from the shops and the public baths. The Jews, as usual, were keen to help. When the pile was ready, Polycarp took off his outer cloak and he untied his belt. And he tried to take off his sandals, something he was not used to, as the faithful always raced to do it for him, each wanting to be the one to touch his skin. This is how good his life was. But when they went to fix him with nails, he said, leave me as I am, for, for he that gives me strength to endure the fire will enable me not to struggle without the help of your nails. So they simply bound him with his hands behind him, like a distinguished ram chosen for a great flock for sacrifice. Ready to be an acceptable burnt offering to God, he looked up to heaven and he said, O Lord God Almighty, the Father of your beloved and blessed Son, Jesus Christ, by whom we have received the knowledge of you, the God of angels and powers and every creature and of all righteous who will live before you, I give you thanks that you count me worthy to be numbered among your martyrs, sharing the cup of Christ in the resurrection to eternal life, both of soul and body, through the immortality of the Holy Spirit. May I be received this day as an acceptable sacrifice as you, the true God, have predestined and revealed to me and now fulfilled. I praise you for all these things. I bless you and glorify you along with the everlasting Jesus Christ, your beloved son, to you with whom through the Holy Ghost be glory both now and forever. Amen. Then the fire was lit and the flame blazed furiously. We who were privileged to witness, it saw a great miracle. 
This is why we have been preserved to tell this story. The fire shaped itself into a form of an arch, like a sail of a ship when filled with the wind, and formed a circle around the body of the martyr. And inside it, he looked not like flesh that is burnt, but like bread that is baked, or gold and silver glowing in a furnace. And we smelled a sweet scent like frankincense or some precious spices. Eventually, those, when those wicked men saw that his body could not be consumed by the fire, they commanded an executioner to pierce him with a dagger. And when he did this, such great quantity of blood flowed that the fire was extinguished. The crowd were amazed at the difference between the unbelievers and the elect. This is the story of the blessed Polycarp. Listen to this. The 12th martyr in Smyrna. When Jesus said to that church, you will be going through tribulation, you will be going through persecution, we see here one example of part, uh, Polycarp and another man mentioned Germanicus. These were two of what we know of 12 individuals who gave their life, gave their life for the gospel's sake. May I just say something to you? The Bible that you have today, yes, it's precious because it's God's word, and yes, it's precious because it's been given to us by God, but can I also remind you of something, that there were many who gave their lives so that we have the faith that we have today. Amen, church? Jesus told this church, you will go through suffering, you will go through tribulation, you will go through persecution. But he reminds them that he is with them. He says to them, I know your poverty. He says, I know your poverty. He says, you're a poor church. But I like what he says, but you are rich. What he's saying is, although you are physically poor, you are spiritually rich towards God. I would say to you like this, that the church of Smyrna, under its great persecution and great tribulation, did not have fancy buildings. They did not have a, a beautiful temple or a beautiful uh, uh, church building like we have. They were a poor church. And may I remind you of something, that the church is not a building. It is the body of believers. And that the church here that was a poor church. He says, you're physically poor. No beautiful buildings. No padded chairs or pews. Probably no beautiful carpet. Most likely no stained glass windows. Chandeliers. Not a beautiful fellowship hall. They didn't have a kitchen. Are you with me? They didn't have any of these things. But the Lord said, you are rich Toward God. May I remind us of something? Money cannot buy the power of God upon a church. And so he says, You were poor, but you are rich toward God. There's a gospel that is being preached that is a false gospel. It's called a prosperity gospel. You ever hear of it? If you come to Jesus and you say yes to Jesus, or if you're a follower of God, you're going to be wet, rich and you're going to have cars. And a lot of these, these preachers and evangelists have their own private jets and all of these things. And then they, they preach this prosperity gospel. By the way, so far, I don't see a prosperity gospel preached to the church of Ephesus or the church of Smyrna. Do you guys see it? 
No. This prosperity gospel that says if you come to Jesus, everything's going to be great and there's going to be no more problems and you're going to, be, you're going to have money and bank accounts and cars. Can I tell you something? <laughs> that is not the gospel that Jesus Christ preached. Amen, church? And then he warns them, too. He reminds them. He says, I know those blasphemers who call themselves Jews. He warns of, of, of false teaching and, and the false prophets, as he did in the church of Ephesus, we studied last week. We're going to see in many of these churches, he warns. And well, I want to remind you of something. There was the attack from without that the church was experiencing. The church was experiencing the attack from without, but there was also an attack from within. And he warns that there are those false teachers and those, and he uses strong words here. He says, those that are of the synagogue of Satan. He reminds them, he says, they're blasphemers. They're those who blaspheme the, the, the message and the doctrine of Jesus Christ. And he says to the church, if you will, watch out and be on guard. And he warns about them. As he warned the church of Ephesus that there were the many false prophets who were coming in and deceiving the church. What you'll find is this. Almost every letter that Paul writes, he warns about false teachers, false prophets. You read almost every letter that John writes. Here in the book of Revelation, when you read first and second and third John, and even when he quotes Jesus in the, in the gospel of John, he warns that in the last days there will be many false prophets and many false teachers. And once again, we see the warning to the church of Smyrna. He says, beware of the attack from within. Be careful. He says, and don't be deceived by the synagogue of Satan. What does he mean by this? Look at 2 Corinthians with me. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 13 and 14. Paul warns this church. Here's one of the letters. He warns them. He says this. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ, saying they're apostles of Christ. And he says, no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Some versions might say something like this, that they're masquerading themselves, masquerading themselves. Satan masquerades himself as an angel of light. We have this idea that the devil has a big old pitchfork and the devil has big old horns, right? And we can just see him coming a mile away. No, the devil is a wolf in sheep's clothing. And he's sneaking, he's deceitful, and he warns this church. He says, beware of the synagogue of Satan, those blasphemers who denounce who Jesus Christ is, who denounce the authority of the word of God. Look at Timothy gets this warning from Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 6, he says this. Now the Spirit expressly says, notice this, what will happen in the latter times, in the last days? In the latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrine of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience sealed with a hot iron. Listen to what they do. This is some of the, this is how you can spot the fakes, those masquerading. They forbid marriage, forbidding to marry. 
and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. So they, they begin to tell you what you can eat and what you can't eat, what you can drink and what you can't drink. He says, this will help you know a false prophet, a false teacher. Boy, the Bible is relevant today. Somebody say amen there. Amen. Wow, forbidding to marry. Even church is saying you can't be married, that church leaders cannot be married. And I'm not trying to be mean here, but we see the destruction that that has caused. When churches forbid people in authority or in leadership to be married, and then they're trying to fulfill those needs in other ways, and it has become a, a great travesty, hasn't it? The Bible warned about this thousands of years ago. Paul told Timothy, he says, you'll know if they say they're going to forbid marriage, you're going to forbid eating of certain foods. He says, for every creature of God is good, and nothing to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. If you instruct a brethren in these things, you will be a good minister. Am I instructing you in these things today? Then I must be a good minister. Amen? <laughs> I had to throw that in there. If you, he says, you are a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the words of faith, and notice this, and of good doctrine, which you have carefully followed. We must carefully follow the good doctrine of the word of God. Amen? He warned of those synagogues of Satan. Let's put it in today's terms. Now, we know a synagogue was, that, was familiar to the Jews. We could say it like this. A synagogue of Satan, a temple of Satan, a church of Satan... You say, what do you think Jesus means by this? What I, I truly believe it's simply put in more modern day terms is this, that one of the greatest tools that Satan uses is religion. Because he masquerades. He will use religion to take people away from the beauty of who Jesus Christ is and what he has done for us. Amen. It's all about Jesus Christ, that he is God, that he is the Savior, and that Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords. And so he says, beware of those blasphemies, those who blaspheme the authority of the word of God, those who blaspheme the blood atonement and the deity of Jesus Christ, those who blaspheme salvation by grace alone, through faith alone in Christ alone. Amen. He warns them. We notice in this church it's interesting. There's only one of two churches where the Lord has no correction. Where he does not correct this church. And where there's no discipline of this church. And no confronting them. The other church we'll study in a few weeks is the church of Philadelphia. Only two churches, he doesn't confront them and say, here's some areas that I need you to fix and some areas I need you to work on. The other one was the church of Philadelphia. Anyone know what Philadelphia means? Bradley Love. I've been, I did ministry in Philadelphia. It is not the city of Bradley Love. <laughs> the one on the East Coast, okay. I did inner city ministry there for a couple of years. It's one of the roughest places in this country, let me tell you. You talk about 
just walking in fear and, and knowing that God has to be with you, let me tell you, it is a rough place. And I can tell you, God, God watches over his, 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 his servants. Amen? But the, this church, the church of Smyrna, there is no correction. There is no, nowhere where he says, and it doesn't mean it was a perfect church. But, you know, I, I think there's something we can learn from this, is that this church was under such tremendous persecution and tribulation and distress that they were so close to the Lord. Amen? They needed him. Probably one of the greatest, greatest things that hinders us as believers and Christians, and whether we believe it or not, it's hard for us to comprehend this, is that we're so prosperous, we almost do not need the Lord. Years ago, I went on a missions trip. You have just a minute for a little sidetrack. Years ago, I went on a missions trip. I spent almost two weeks in Amman, Jordan. And when we were in Amman, Jordan, there was a group of Iraqi refugees, people coming out of Iraq. It was after the fall of Saddam Hussein. And while I was there, they actually killed, the United States killed Uday and Hussein, Saddam Hussein's two sons. They were evil. And there's a whole lot of story I could tell you about, and a whole lot about that whole trip. But we were discipling and training and helping Muslims who had converted to Christianity. Now, all of them were refugees who fled Iraq under all of that chaos. And I had an interpreter. His name was Yad. He actually became a Christian during the first Gulf War. He began to interpret for the U.S. military. They gave him a New Testament. And as he was interpreting, he had sergeants and lieutenants and captains who were believers, and they began one, they gave him a New Testament, and they began to share their faith with him. A very long story short, he began to read the Bible. He began to consume the Bible, began to study the Bible, and he became a believer. He became a Christian, and they baptized him. One of the military chaplains baptized him over there uh, in, in, in Iraq. Because he was a believer, because he was a Christian, because he had a Bible, he had the gospel, and because he had converted to Christianity... He was thrown into Saddam Hussein's prison, and he was in there for quite some time. He told me stories that he, they would take him every day. They took him into a cell, and it was literally painted with blood. You could smell it, almost like smell like the iron in the blood. You could smell it. He only lived on onions and, and garlic. That was it. They just fed him onions and garlic. If you saw him, you would see that he truly, he, this is a true story. He was so malnourished. He was small and tiny and thin. His hair and his head was patchy. He had patches of no hair. He had a tremendous amount of PTSD and always nervous. And they electrocuted him. They would put his literally feet in water and they would take cables and electrocute him because he was a Christian. His father worked for the treasury, and his father was influential and was able to pull some strings, and he gave him a little bit of money, and he got him out of the country, and he went to Amman, Jordan. And in Amman, Jordan, he met other Christians who met other Christians, and then one day we had the opportunity for our paths to cross. Very smart man. He went to Baghdad University, went to different universities, 
And he could speak at that time five or six languages. The last time I heard from him and heard about him from other missionaries, they said he's up to like seven or eight languages. And I think right now he's in Australia. But he actually, for a brief time, he came to the United States for a brief time before I had the chance to meet him. And I said to him, I can't believe the persecution and everything you're under. By the way, when we were there, every couple days, we had to move from house to house because the locals started to catch on that we were working with, with converted Muslims. Right after we left, most of them, many of them ended up in prison, some of them dead. I said to Yad, how do you do it? How do you, like, under this, you know, like, this persecution? And he said to me, there's different forms of persecution. He said, I actually went to the United States for a few months. And he said, how do you Christians do it in America? You have so many distractions. You have so much prosperity, so much wealth. And he says, beyond that, he says, just, he says, the temptation of sin, it's everywhere. I think that those words that he spoke to me is, rings clear as I study the church of Smyrna. They were under such persecution and tribulation that the honest truth is they didn't, I would believe this too, they didn't fight over the little things in the church. Come on now. <laughs> they watched 12 of their brothers and sisters be burned at the stake. This church was so close to Christ that I think sometimes it's sad, but most of us would trade comfort. Come on now. We'd rather be comfortable than close to Jesus. This church said we want to be close to Jesus. And so there is no confrontation. There is no correction. And the last point as I close is this. In verse 10 and 11, Christ comforts them. He says, do not fear what shall come. He says, do not fear it. He says, be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. He says, be faithful. He speaks to them, and he says to this church at the end of verse 11, he who overcomes will not be hurt at all by the second death. Revelation 12, 11, later in this letter John tells us how we overcome, and this is how we overcome. He says this, and they overcame him, how? By what? The blood of the Lamb, and by the word of their testimony. And they, listen to this, they did not love their lives even to death. He says you will overcome. How do we overcome the enemy? How do we overcome the evil one? By the blood of the Lamb. It's about Jesus Christ, amen? And he tells this church, he says, this time is just a brief time compared to eternity. He also promises them, as you study here, he says that there will be crowns that will be given them. The song we just sang a few moments ago was sang by a, a group called Casting Crowns. How many of you have ever heard of Casting Crowns? And the song that we just sang about praise you in the storm, in the middle of the storm, the name of that, that, that group is called Casting Crowns, but here's the point. If we won't turn there, but in Revelation chapter 4, verse 10, it says this, that we will take our crowns. And these martyrs who were given crowns, some people refer to them as the martyr's crowns. They will cast them back 
to the feet of Jesus and give him honor and give him glory. He says you will be given a crown, a crown that you will someday lay at the feet of Jesus as an offering to him. But most importantly, he promises them the promise of eternal life. And he says this. He says to this church, he says, and there will, he says, and will not be hurt at all by the second death. Just two more passages and I'm done. Revelation chapter 20. Listen to this. What is this second death? Revelation 20, 14 and 15. Then death and Hades or death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Look at Revelation chapter 21. And I'll close with this. John later in this letter, as he continues that, and he's beginning to close the letter, he says, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and also there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Amen? And there shall be no more death and no sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And I will give of the, of the founda- a fountain of the waters of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes. How do we overcome, church? How? By the blood of the Lamb. He who overcomes shall inherit all these things, and I will be his God. And he shall be my son. But the cowardly and the unbelieving, the abominable, the murderers, the sexually immoral and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in a lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. May I say this to you? We overcome by the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ. And he says, if you put your faith and trust in him, the scripture tells us that our names are written in heaven. They're written in the Lamb's book of life. And he says, if your name is in the Lamb's book of life, the second death has no hold on you. Amen? And you were promised eternal life through Jesus Christ. And so he says to this church, he reminds them, you will go through persecution. There will be trouble. There will be trial. There will be testing. But know that I am with you. And know this that whatever you go through, it will be worth it all when we stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and he welcomes us into his kingdom. And all God's people said this morning, amen. There is no second death for those who overcome by the blood of the lamb. I tell you, church, it, it is all about Jesus Christ. Give him praise. Give him honor. Give him glory. Would you stand and pray with me this morning? Lord, I pray you'd bless your word. We thank you for this 